Faith, family, freedom, hope, and opportunity. You're listening to Freedom Rings. I'm your host, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Welcome to another episode of Freedom Rings. Delighted that you're joining us once again. And for our podcast audience, we have a spectacular guest today. Kat Kamek is new to the U.S. House of Representatives, representing Florida's 3rd District. But she is not new to public policy And she is not new to fighting for freedom and pushing back on the federal government. Kat, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, and we are glad to have you. And you are currently the youngest member of the U.S. House, right? Yeah, sometimes I don't feel the youngest. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yes, technically, I am the youngest. I'm 33 and hoping that in the 118th, uh, we we are able to transfer that title to another youngster who comes in, another young woman. Absolutely. We want to see as many young conservative women as we can get into D.C. serving in elective office. And it's one of the reasons that some of your colleagues and Senators Rubio and Scott and I are working with the uh, SRLC to recruit women and minorities to run for local and state office so that we get them into that process. Well, let's go through your walk into politics just a just a little bit, because you've got a record of being a happy warrior freedom fighter. And I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I say every day I get up to go fight for faith, family, freedom, hope and opportunity. And I love it when we have other freedom fighters that join us. So what really caused you to start paying attention to freedom and to politics and how the two intertwine? Well, I guess my entire life I had I had been preparing for some sort of civil engagement. I, I grew up the daughter of a single mom, and I'm a third-generation commercial sandblaster, which people are like, what the heck is a commercial sandblaster? It's it's heavy-duty construction. You're on a job site, and you don't see a lot of women in that particular industry. And my mom ran the business, and before that, her mom, my grandmother, ran the business. So I had a lot of really strong female role models growing up doing something that women traditionally didn't do. But by virtue of being in that business, I saw on a daily basis what government was doing to our little family business, whether it was the EPA or the Department of Labor, taxes. I I did every job in the family business possible. And I think just by being in that environment, seeing how government interference made it harder for us to make a living and and grow, I was kind of naturally being conditioned to this notion that big government is bad. And my family wasn't political. We're very blue collar, working class. And so I, you know, voted when I turned 18, uh, but never really was engaged in politics in that way. But it wasn't until April of 2011 that I really was kind of hit by a Mack truck, for lack of a better way to put it. We found out that our family was going to lose our cattle ranch that I had been born and raised on. 
And it wasn't because of something we had done wrong. It was because of a big government program under the Obama years that he had used as his signature piece of housing legislation during the 08-09 crisis. And instead of helping homeowners, it ended up forcing homeowners out of their homes and killing the American dream for about 7 million Americans in the process. And my family, we were one of them, found ourselves homeless for several months. And after graduating college, you're looking for a job. The economy was in the tank and I started getting angry. And that's when I started researching what was this bill? And it turns out that not a lot of people in Washington had read the bill. And it didn't take a genius to say, well, if the big government is going to work with the banks against us, the little people, you know, that means there's going to be millions more cats out there, homeless, hurting, and I wanted to do something about it. So I moved across the country on a whim. Uh, a family friend called me and said, my uncle is running for Congress in Florida, and I think you'd be great. And I, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know anything about Florida except for that it's it's hot and there's beaches and palm trees and uh, – I, I know nothing about running a campaign. And he said, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. And so that was my first job out of college was running a campaign for for a, a candidate who was told we had no shot. And uh, by the grace of God and a lot of work, we ended up winning. And um, that began my my journey into public service. There you go. And you <laughs> served on that staff. Yes. Yes. And then he retires. Yes, ma'am. And you throw your hat in the ring. Yes. We, uh, my husband and I, um, poor, poor fella. Uh, when I was running uh, Congressman Yoho's campaigns and working as his deputy chief of staff, um, I had had met my husband, Matt, who's a firefighter and a SWAT medic. And I told him I, I didn't have time to date. Uh, but I was busy running a campaign and I needed to find someone to do signs. And the poor guy, he's like, oh, I'll do the signs. Now, anyone who knows what a, a summer in the southeast is like, it's hot. It's it's 100 degrees, 100 percent humidity. And this poor fella is out there building road signs, these big four by eight foot road signs with a handsaw and, and a drill. And he did that for three campaigns. So for six years, he did that. And um, so he knew what the, the political campaign yeah. was like. And, and when Congressman Yoho made the decision to retire, we sat down in a little barbecue joint, little hole in the wall place. And uh, we brought along our best friend and we were trying to make up our minds. You know, do we end our time in public service and and start a new chapter or do we continue to fight? And it really came down to something pretty simple for us. You know, we're we're looking to have a family and. You know, right now it's just chickens and ducks and dogs. Um, but at the end of the day, I looked at him and I said, babe, do you really think that you're going to be able to look our future kids in the eye and tell them that mom and dad did everything that we could to mm -hmm. preserve? So you run. Country? Yes. Tough rice. Largest primary in the state of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 12 way mm -hmm. primary. Got it whittled down to 10. Very, very contentious, had multiple self-funders against us, but we kept our head down. We didn't sling mud. We didn't do negative campaigning. We remained the happy warrior, focused on the issues and the solutions.
Yeah. There you go. And so you make it to to Congress. Yeah. So what are your primary issues that have caught your attention that you like working on? So I think there's and I feel like a lot of members feel this pressure, this push and pull of the needs from back home, you know, very tangible items for me that's broadband. Especially under COVID, we saw whether it was education or telehealth or commerce, if you weren't connected, you were behind. And so for me and my district, we're building out a blueprint of how you can deploy broadband to an area that is woefully underserved. But then there's national issues, of course, that we all deal with and work on that have a direct impact back home, of course, taxes and regulations. But you know, the border, it's a very simple, fundamental issue. If you do not have a secure border, you're not a secure nation. And if we don't have borders, we're not a sovereign nation. Being on Homeland Security, I've been there several times to the border and I've seen the drugs. I've seen I've seen the coyotes bringing people along in rafts. I've seen the trafficking, the crime. It's horrific. And so I think until we can do the very basics of securing our border, we can't really do much else. Mm -hmm. So. Border security is a huge issue that I'm, I'm championing. Um, I, I am laser focused right now politically on trying to take the House back because, as you know, this this whole institution is run off of majorities and it's tough being in the minority with a limited voice. And that is true. And we see that play out in the issue of border security or lack thereof. Because right now, every town's a border town and every state's a border state because we do have that open border. And you're right. It is the first responders who are left in law enforcement that have to deal with sex trafficking, human trafficking, the impact of drugs. Yes. So it becomes an issue for every single town. Yes. So and your husband is out there. He's currently a firefighter mm -hmm. and a SWAT. Yes, SWAT member. medic. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, <clears throat> actually, this morning he's getting off shift as we as we speak. Mm -hmm. um, so he he responds to um, your everyday calls, and you know I tell people he is he's going in on you know every day on people's worst day. He sees them at their worst after a car accident after a fire, um, after disputes. And then when he gets those very dangerous call outs, it's armed barricades. It's um, uh, situations that are very, very dangerous. And for the assault that we have seen on law enforcement, it's, it's despicable. And for any spouse of a first responder, they all know, we all know, that feeling that you get in your stomach when they walk out the door. Because you never know if they're going to walk back through that door. It, it really gets to you in ways that people can't understand. And this culture of disrespect and, and attacks on law enforcement has bled into the first responder community as a whole. We now have ballistic vests on all our fire trucks because of the assaults and actual drive-by shootings at firefighters. We have seen what happens when we have weak leadership at our local levels that basically kowtow to the the mobs of people that say we want to defund police and we want to take critical life-saving equipment off their backs. Uh, earlier in the year, I brought my husband's SWAT vest to the House floor to demonstrate that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act was actually going to take equipment off of his back. This is a vest that has seen 
17-hour manhunts and, uh, you know, a man who had barricaded himself with his young children, threatening to kill them. I mean, my husband and by extension, the very equipment that saves his life every day has seen some very dangerous situations that I think some of our colleagues want to pretend don't exist. Um, and of course, I, I think you have a, a colleague in the Senate who who said it best, if you want to defund the police, call a crackhead. Then. <laughs> um, it's it's a dangerous time that we're living in. And I think that's why we need to have support at all levels for first responders and law enforcement. Yes, indeed we do. And we appreciate what they do to keep our streets and communities safe. Yes. Um, what does freedom mean to you when you mm. think about freedom? That's what a does great that mean? question. Yeah. Oh, freedom. Freedom to me is the ability to wake up in the morning knowing full well that it is not impossible or out of reach to do anything that you want to do. The government has begun to dictate to us what we're going to do, how we're going to live our lives. And and every aspect of our society and culture has now been corrupted and tainted by government. And so I think that as government grows, freedom becomes diminished. So freedom for me is keeping your dreams very big and your government small. There you go. That is a great definition because, indeed, I think we want all of our children and grandchildren to dream those big dreams and have a way to make them come true. Absolutely. All right. If our podcast audience wants to follow you on social media, where do they find you? Really easy. We are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and it's just at Cat Camac. So really easy. We do Facebook Lives and engage regularly on social media, so I encourage people to follow us. You can also sign up for our e-newsletter at catforcongress.com, and uh, we have some pretty cool swag as well. In fact, we have a shirt that says, keeping my dreams big and my government small. So There you go. <laughs> there you go. And that is Kat with a K-A-T. Yes. And Kamak is C-A-M-M-A-C-K. Yes. So that they can find you more easily. Well, Kat, we appreciate your being with us. And, of course, for our audience, you can pull down our podcast wherever you find them and uh, follow me online. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Senator. Appreciate all the work Absolutely. you do. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Freedom Rings. You can follow me on Twitter at Vote Marsha, Facebook at Marsha Blackburn for Senate, and on Instagram at Team Marsha. And you can always find us online at MarshaBlackburn.com. The Freedom Rings podcast is edited and produced by Jared Cummings. Executive producers are Conservative Partnership Center and Marsha Blackburn. Together, we make Freedom Rings.